Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's award-winning journal, AACN Advanced Critical Care, with information available at aacn.org forward slash ACC journal. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. Hi, this is Connie Barden, and I'm thrilled to be able to chat today with Dr. Craig Laser. Craig is the Associate Director of Health Innovation Programs and a Clinical Associate Professor at the Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation at Arizona State University. Craig, welcome. Thank you very much, Connie. It's a great pleasure to be here, and I'm very excited to to have our conversation today. Super. Well, you know, our topic today is leadership and innovation in healthcare, and uh, I think we could probably talk for days. Yeah. So we'll, we'll focus in and to get us started thinking together, I want to ask a, a basic question because, you know, this concept of innovation is such a buzzword today. Everybody's mm-hmm. using it. How would you define it? Where would you start with that? I think starting at the beginning with what innovation really is and what it isn't. And I think innovation at its basic core is creating an outcome that creates value. So you can frame that in a variety of ways for people. At the end of the day, it's about looking at processes, potentially developing an application or a technology. It may be developing a product or it's transforming something that already exists into something different. So you can use the initial primary parts and create something completely new. But whatever it is, what it's focused on is creating value at the end for the stakeholder or the primary customer or the user. That's really helpful and not exactly what I expected you to say. So let me ask, push a little further. How do people differentiate that from our plain, ordinary process improvement type things that we're so uh, familiar with? I think the difference between process improvement and innovation, and it's to some degree, it's splitting hairs. Because inherently in innovation, there are components of process improvement. So whether you're using a lean methodology or PDSA, you're going to apply the innovation process to the work. So process improvement, to me, the difference is that you might not actually end up creating something new or different. You may just be simply modifying a step or two, which can create and certainly should create change but it's not necessarily going to add uh, greater value or change the outcome. That is a huge distinction. So I can't wait to learn more. It sounds like there's a whole science behind this. And one of the things I have learned in doing my prep for talking to you is something I did not know. There are actually four different types of innovation when you teach there in the college. That's some of the basic uh, information that you all talk about. We talk about four different kinds. Uh, There's incremental, radical, disruptive and architectural. And when we think about them as far as what what is the difference, I think of them in terms of how quickly and or sudden the change in the process or the outcome and the value is that you can create. So incremental, it's a slow, deliberate process of creating that change and going through an ideation process to form something new. Whereas a disruptive change really kind of can start tomorrow. 
if, if you have something that you want to try, a pilot, a prototype that you've been working on, and you want to just plop it down and use it, then you're going to create disruptive change. And these four categories of innovation really have their roots essentially in technology and have been adopted and adapted to other forms of innovation. If you think about how that might reflect more accurately on technologies that we develop or inventions, then it in some ways makes a little bit more sense because uh, you can radically change something, create a new product. Uh, whereas a lot of the things that we do in healthcare specifically and specifically in, in critical care, we may slowly integrate or we have ideas and we have small pilots and or small prototypes of things that we try along the way. And then we see how that creates change or creates the value. And then we decide if we want to keep it as it is or change it again. And we go through that iteration process. Let me ask you one, because you talked about disruptive. How is that different from radical innovation? I'm not sure I understand the difference there. It's a good question. And I think between radical and disruptive, I think radical is just like taking something that doesn't necessarily seem like it fits with the problem that you have to solve the problem. Whereas disruptive is essentially saying today we're doing it this way and tomorrow we are doing it this way and we're going to use this instead of that and we're going to move forward. That's how I frame it. They're very close, um, but disruptive is truly, I think it's a great word because it, it truly upends the apple cart, if you will. And essentially going from a rotary phone to a, a cell phone from one day to the next. Right. That's a great example. That makes perfect sense. We may come back to those because I'm, I'm learning as I'm talking to you. But, you know, since our topic is both innovation and leadership, let me ask you this. So obviously, uh, to make this happen, right, or maybe it's not obviously, but I would think to make this happen, um, having an innovative leader would be important, would be ideal anyway. So if you had to say, what are some qualities that it would be ideal for an innovative leader to have? How would you describe some of those? You are absolutely correct. And in fact, as we in the college begin to talk about innovation and the beginning part of the program really focuses on you as the individual and your leadership self-awareness and looking at your behaviors and your, your thoughts about leadership and then innovation and how those two things come together. It's essential to have a leader who really is able to display qualities of Inquiry, so you know, very similar to evidence-based practice, it's, it's about forming a culture that is really looking at how can we do things differently, being humble and also being um, vulnerable to taking risks. Those are key qualities because without the ability to take risks, innovation becomes very stifled. Uh, and you have to also be willing to have failures as well as successes and take your failures or learn from what did not work well and put that into the next part of whether you have a product or an application or a new process that you're working on to be able to continue to move forward. Because if you don't, then, you know, we, we look at innovation as a, as a continuous process. So we have to learn from what worked and then apply it to the next phase so that we can ultimately get to that point where it's truly adding value as it's intended. Let me ask you a little further on the leader thing. So let's pretend we have a leader with a pretty innovative mindset. 
Now they've got a staff that they need to bring on board in order to have things happen. What have you seen helpful with that? And also, what are some things that tend to get in the way of of engaging others and therefore disseminating the whole mindset, the culture that one's trying to create? This is a really important question. And it's, you know, really and truly, it's the million dollar prize. And much like any other change, when I think about leaders and innovation and creating cultures of, of innovation, and creating that change, it really does come down to that leader having a vision and a direction. And once they have that vision and direction, they're also responsible for sharing that with the team that they're working on, getting those people on the team invested and engaged in the process. They have to be an active part of the process in order for innovation to work. Very rarely is there ever one person that's going to create something and implement it and, and then believe that everybody's going to just adopt it. It's going to take a process of going through, getting buy-in, really following a change model, whether that's Cotter or unfreezing, freezing models of change. It goes hand in hand because the leader, the innovation leader, has to be able to articulate what it is that they want to do, why they want to do it. It goes back to you know, Simon Sinek and why, the why is very, very important. And then getting people to be a part of that so that it can move forward. And there's a whole, both individual as well as organizational and cultural assessment that really needs to take place. Because, you know, like many things, timing is of the essence. And as as we've seen with, you know, the last almost two years now with COVID and the pandemic, that has accelerated change in many ways. But then we've also seen the challenges that it's presented to the systems we have in place and thinking about ways to be creative to change those things. So the cultural component is huge and workforce engagement, like any engagement, it really does start with the leader. You know what I'm thinking about when you say that is how exciting this could be to a staff member when we talk about the context of healthcare, almost like a freedom. Imagine having a leader who who says not only are you allowed to innovate or come up with creative ideas, but I expect you to come up with new and different ideas. But you mentioned the pandemic. Let me, let me ask you about this. We know we've seen all kinds of innovations during the pandemic because we had to. What are some that you've seen that have been particularly impressive to you or that come to mind that maybe we'd even like to keep post-pandemic when, thank goodness, one day we get to that place? Unfortunately, one of the positive effects that the pandemic or the situation has had is, I think it's just unleashed people's ability to think out of the box. And that's a cliche, thinking out of the box. However, it's really allowed people to think differently about how they do their job. So for something as simple as saying or looking at, wow, you know, we want to limit the exposure of being in a patient's room. Let's move the equipment outside the door. Uh, Let's get extension sets. Um, How do we safeguard the, the tubing uh, that's going to connect to a patient is also not contaminating the patient. I still do some work with a health system here in Phoenix, and we had a group of intensive care unit nurses that figured out how to use stat locks to elevate IV tubing and keep it in place without touching the floor. So they were, you know, they were transforming. That's not what that product is intended for, but they used it in a way that, that made complete sense. I think we've seen in a really fascinating way for me, 
really the explosion of the use and realizing that the use of ECMO and those kinds of supportive uh, extracorporeal uh, devices can be used routinely. And I, and I don't say that in a cavalier way, but you know we were not using ECMO in the same way prior to the pandemic as we have been now. And I think there's been a greater uh, realization that it can truly be mobilized in a lot of different ways uh, to bring life-saving and transitional bridge care to patients who maybe need a lung transplant specifically with COVID. So I, I think there's just been a lot of different thinking about ways to use things. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was actually on a, a webinar earlier today listening about mobile integrated healthcare and um, how we have mobilized uh, EMS and paramedics to provide, you know, out of hospital care and looking at different modes and care delivery models that were spurred by COVID, but had been in, been in development for a while. But now because of COVID, it accelerated, it disrupted um, the need. So they were able to actually implement those models of care. And now CMS is also paying for those models of care. So I think there's there's just been a variety of things that people have been able to, to do that may have been in the works. And then they just, they're solving problems as a just-in-time sort of thing as they think about it. I think you're exactly right. There's, there's very little good we could say coming out of this pandemic, but perhaps those are some of the things if, if it has forced us to have this different mindset. Do you think we'll think differently about innovation post-pandemic? Like, how would we get this innovative mindset to stick around when we're not forced into it like we have been because of this global pandemic? That's an interesting question. And I, I really hope that that sense of uh, innovative spirit and inquiry does not end. And I think it's gonna take leaders to keep it going. Staff and clinical uh, practitioners, they need to know and they, they still need to know that they have permission to innovate, to think creatively and to you know, try things, uh, to use evidence-based practices to support their ideas of, of what they are thinking about what they need to do. And I think nurses as a whole, you know, historically have come up with things, workarounds, if you will, that are really innovations to what they need to do to get the job done to take care of patients. And leaders need to support that. And, you know, for me, this is, this is the essence of what shared governance is, not only uh, empowering people to solve problems, but really letting people who are intelligent professionals come to the table and, and try new things and, and move forward with it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, we're, we're plagued in nursing, I think like every other field with the, uh, we've always done it this way mantra. Yes. And it sounds like this is perhaps a way for us to break past that and really lift nursing and healthcare and how we do things with patients to a whole new level. It really is. And again, it takes a leader and an organization to, be risk tolerant. And that is sometimes very difficult. And organizations are designed by structure to do what they do best. Risk taking sometimes breaks with that mindset. So it is going to require organizations to become different than they, than they currently are. Yeah. And I want to come back to that risk thing. But before we do, I'm trying to think. So we've defined 
sort of some of the characteristics of an innovative leader? You talked about creating a culture, but are there some certain structures that this leader needs to think about putting in place as they go about making this new culture and engaging people in its achievement? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, there's definite structures that need to be put in place. And, you know, you will sometimes hear people say, well, structures inhibit innovation. And depending on how far you take the structure, yes, if, if you put up, if the structure becomes a barrier indeed. However, you know, much like process improvement, much like any change, we do have to have a stepwise process that we follow to begin to create innovation. And there's a whole innovation process that we teach people about that really goes from having an idea or a problem statement, thinking about those that it affects, why we want to create the change, how we want to start to get stakeholder feedback. We come up with ideas and thoughts about that, and then we begin to test it, pilot it, and discover what's working, what's not working. And very much like you know, an evidence-based practice using a PICO question, it follows that same process of really ideation and making sure that people know how to use the process. So as a leader, I believe most leaders are also educators, right? So they develop people. And in part of that is developing the people that you work with and the teams that you work with in how to think about innovation so that they can actually take their ideas and then be able to apply them. Because some people get lost in the concept of innovation, thinking that it needs to be some great grand product or technology or an invention, when ultimately it, it doesn't have to be. It, it can be something that brings you value in the work that you do or for the customer stakeholder that you're serving our patients in a way that is now different and adds a different value. I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I wanted to go next. I want to ask you a little bit about this value thing, because that was one of the things you pointed out in your definition, a little bit of the uh, differentiator between um, innovation and some of the PI processes. So what does that really mean? Like, how do we think about this value thing and know if we've achieved it with our innovation? Yeah, knowing the outcome and then how are, how are we measuring that outcome uh, of value is, I think, it's really important. And I'll just use an example. So, you know, telehealth uh, two years ago was a technology and a methodology of visiting patients, consulting with patients by providers. However, it wasn't always reimbursed, particularly by CMS. And since the pandemic, it has suddenly become reimbursable. The value of that is, you know, to the provider, but also the patient as far as access to care as far as the cost structure and the, the ease of actually being able to talk to a provider and get your problem resolved quickly without necessarily having to schedule an appointment, that appointment time can vary. And then actually for some people having to take work off, losing income. So in a situation like that, the value is the, the time saved, the money saved, getting what I want or what I need out of that visit with my provider. And the provider also, you know, if we think about this shift in healthcare from volume to value, the value piece of the provider is that they can actually see more patients and to not confuse the volume piece, but they can see more patients and add value to those patients instead of having to have people delay getting in to see a provider. And we know that if people 
are delayed in seeing primary care providers, they often seek care in emergency departments, which is not necessarily where a patient with a primary care need needs to go. And especially during this time period with the influx of patients in the emergency department and just in general emergency department volumes and overcrowding, the real value is that they got their care at the right place at the right time. I love that example, and I'm biased. I used to work in a tele-ICU, so I'm, I'm all about telehealth and the benefits and so forth. But what I got from hearing you use that as an example is you're blowing up what I had in mind about value, which is we make a little change and we measure that it was different and so forth. But with the telehealth example, I think you're talking about transformation, mm-hmm. that type of innovation, having the possibility of transforming a system. It has the possibility of transforming the system. You know, if you think about consumers and what consumers are looking for, this was also disruptive because consumers, some health plans offered telehealth visits or virtual visits. Not everyone accessed it. And people had, I think, concerns about it. And then all of a sudden, it was much more common. It was, you know, some private primary care physicians weren't actually even seeing patients in their office. So if you wanted to be seen by a doctor, this was your only choice, other than if you accessed it through EDs, et cetera. But it it was disruptive, but it was also transformative. And I think that that's a really important thing to think about because it's two types of innovation at once. And it's also, I think, going to be an accelerator for how we continue to move forward And it's also changed, I think, the perception for providers of what it is they thought patients wanted versus what patients actually say that they like about virtual visits and giving them an option. Yes, there's certain things that people absolutely need to see a provider for uh, in person. But we also know that there's a lot of routine care, medication refills, those kinds of things that can very easily be handled uh, through a virtual visit. I think those are amazing examples. I want to take a step back and talk a little bit about that issue of risk that we mentioned earlier. As I think about it, I imagine there are risks to creating an innovative culture, but I also imagine there are risks to not having an innovative culture. Tell us a little bit about this whole risk thing with innovation. So risk is the double-edged sword, as you said. The risk of not doing it is that you, you know, you are mired in the status quo. The risk of doing it is that you have so many things going on sometimes that you can't focus. And that's where I think the the leader's role is to help put some some guardrails around, you know, if we are going to innovate, if if we're going to continue to move forward, we have to focus on what it is that we want to do first and kind of take those in a stepwise fashion of, of either what's a priority, what's a need, based on what we're seeing, begin to create some measure to it. Uh, otherwise, it can get a little out of control and you can, you can lose focus on what you're trying to, to innovate. Conversely, if it's a very stifling environment, we're going to continue to do things the way we've always done it. I think in the long term, um, obviously, you're, you're not going to move ahead. You're not going to be able to add value to patients and or staff. And you're also going to, I think, lose people. Um, you know, with the crisis, I think that we're facing in the workforce, with nursing as well as other healthcare disciplines, 
people want to be able to thrive in environments and they don't want to be stifled by, you know, not being able to take risks, not being able to try things, not being able to participate in their, their workforce decisions. So I think in environments that just stay mired in the status quo are ultimately going to, going to lose people and potentially also lose their position in their markets. You talked about some of the chaos and, and things, and we've certainly had a lot of challenges to leaders uh, in the last year or two and a lot of leadership turnover. So do you think this concept of, of innovation is important in engaging new leaders and, and bringing them into the field? Or do you think it's more likely to scare them off like, whoa, that's too much. I, I can't do all of that stuff. That's a really interesting question. You know, I have been so encouraged by new nurses coming into the hospital setting, but also at the college, because they are even through all this, and even though much of their education in the programs so far has been somewhat disrupted, they are still very hopeful and very energized by being able to care for patients and serve patients. And I'm also hopeful that the next a batch of new leaders are also encouraged by taking and reflecting on what they may have seen as uh, clinical people right now, not necessarily in a formal leadership role, and looking to what has happened and how they can how they can sustain that and continue to grow an organization and workforce in a very productive way by engaging people's hearts and minds. When I think about leadership. And it's truly my passion. Leadership is a key passion of mine. It is its own knowledge and discipline. And I think sometimes, you know, not just in nursing, but in other disciplines, uh, we have promoted people to leadership positions because they're expert clinicians. And while that, that does have advantages, we also have to remember that learning about leadership as well as management science it's a different and distinct discipline. And just because you're a clinical expert does not mean that you automatically understand management and or leadership. We can do another podcast on the difference between leadership and management. I believe it's a separate and different body of knowledge that requires practice. I think the new leaders going forward, we have to invest in people's development as leaders. And I think by having different types and tracks of educational programs in preparing new leaders will achieve that. But we can't just go back to how it's always been, back to that whole you know, innovation piece. You know, I could talk to you all, all afternoon, but I want to give you time to be an imagineer here and imagine you're a futurist. Yes. And, and you're imagining this future specific to healthcare and the kinds of things we've been talking about. How important do you think this innovation piece is to the future that you imagine? I think innovation is going to have to be a, a foundational perspective in moving forward in healthcare. Whether we think about healthcare globally in the way systems are structured, we know we've got workforce challenges ahead of us. We're going to have to embrace that in a different way in, in ways that may almost seem like we're going back as far as hospitals adopting certain areas of the community, going out to high schools and, and recruiting students, sharing with uh, high school students and grade school students what being a nurse is all about and the great profession and opportunities that there are. Taking people in, in different communities, you know, 
if we think just about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we think about what that really means beyond just color or ethnicity, there's huge opportunities to integrate DEI into our organizations in an innovative way to bring new thought and ideas and possibility. I think we're also moving into a different, with the generations, maybe a different model of do nurses and healthcare professionals need to be employees of organizations or do we need to go to professional service models like physicians where people can contract for nursing services to have professionals that are being paid for the services they provide and getting away from that idea that their nursing is included in room and board to be able to quantify what it is that uh, professional nurses do. So I think it's, it's vital. If we don't begin to apply it as we move forward, we certainly don't want to go backwards. And uh, we've got so many challenges with not only how we're delivering healthcare, but also who's going to deliver the healthcare. And we have to think about that in order to really, I think, safeguard and advance society. Now, Craig, I know you work in a program specifically around health innovation, but do you foresee that innovation will become some of the core education for nurses and other healthcare professionals in the future? Or would you like to see that? That's a great question because just this week, and actually it's been going on for a while, but just this week in um, the college at ASU, we are really looking at within all the different tracks for the different degree programs, how do we integrate innovation into all the different programs from the pre-licensure baccalaureate programs all the way up through the DNP? And do we need six different innovation courses that are being taught in six different tracks of the program? Or do we say we're going to have different levels of the innovation class and we're going to really make it interprofessional and integrate it and have one class to teach the fundamentals of what innovation is and leadership and use that really as the stepping stone? Greg, I want to ask you a question about there at Arizona State. So I have to tell you, I have two colleagues who have studied healthcare innovation. And until talking with them recently, I don't think I even realized that there was such a thing. And yet nurses are innovators. I think just to be a good nurse, you have to be an innovator. So tell us a little bit about the academic degrees that are available nowadays to nurses and others around innovation. I'm fascinated. It's a very unique time. There have been several programs in healthcare innovation around the country, probably for about the last 15 years. Uh, Arizona State is one of them. Ohio State has a program. And it's really focused on teaching nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists, even non-healthcare professionals about health innovation. So I've had some students in class that are from the um, payer and insurance industry. And the focus of it is how do you apply the processes, the, the knowledge base, and the techniques to create innovation in an organization. We also focus a little bit on entrepreneurship. And you know, if you're interested in thinking of ideas that you would like to pitch and sell outside uh, from a, a business perspective or entrepreneurship where you're working in an organization and you're wanting to sell ideas to the organization for things to do differently, how do you do that? And, and we couch it all in a very evidence-based practice, scientific perspective using the best that we know about implementation science and innovation, leadership principles, finance, 
all the components that would go into needing to actually learn about innovation and how to apply that to the healthcare setting. That is super exciting. And carrying on just this thread of nurses as innovators, mm-hmm. um, it is built in. I mean, half of nursing is solving problems. We have. I've seen so many things done with tongue depressors and other things in my time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, it's sort of inspiring and exciting. But every once in a while, we get it wrong. Every once in a while, we innovate. You know, we pride ourselves in doing workarounds and being MacGyvers and all of that. But there is such a focus also on patient safety. Any thoughts about this, us sort of priding ourselves in being crazy innovators and measuring safety in our innovative mindset or our problem-solving mindset as nurses? Connie, I think that's a really valuable point to bring up. Patient safety and you know, working in a highly reliable organization is a, is a really key thing. And I think when it comes to ideas and innovations around patient care and things are going to directly touch patients, we always have to have a safety mindset. And we really, even within the context of innovation, there's a difference between kind of freewielding experimentation or just-in-time invention of trying to adapt something that we're using to actually innovation. Innovation is a, it's a thought-out process that we use to apply to a problem, which means, you know, as we're thinking about innovation, we teach in the college about seven different principles, leadership, evidence-based practice, policy, finance, technology, communication, and those things have to go in as considerations to your innovation. If we're thinking about something that we want to try that's going to touch a patient, we really need to, we need to look at the literature. We need to look at some of the evidence-based practices and make sure that we're not doing something that potentially could cause harm. So yes, the safety piece is, is very important and it's critical. And I think as, as caregivers, while nurses are fundamentally innovators, and I think they think that way, I think they also want to protect their patient. So I think they also think of things that we're not going to come up with something to harm somebody. Sounds to me with these programs popping up around innovation, we have a chance for nurses to become uh, disciplined and educated MacGyvers. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Craig, our our time is up, and I just want to thank you again, Dr. Craig Laser, for spending time with me today. I've learned so much, but also what I've noticed is talking to you about innovation and the cultures of innovation gives me hope, especially after the last year or two where on certain days there's not been a lot to be hopeful about. This paints the picture of a future that I think people will want to be a part of in healthcare, on units and organizations that would call to them to thrive and to grow and a place that really would paint the picture for a hopeful future for healthcare. So thank you for joining us, Craig. Thank you very much, Connie. I have really enjoyed it. It's been a privilege to be here and, and speak with you. And I agree. I think it is a element of hope and looking to the future. And I think that the future is bright. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's award-winning journal, AACN Advanced Critical Care, with information available at aacn.org forward slash ACC journal. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.